Lord, your word says to live as Christ, to die as gain. God, we thank you that we have Christ in our lives. God, to just help us to, to make you number one in our lives. God, help us to prioritize and uh, set you first in everything that we do. exactly how all of this is going to happen. Um, praise God for His Spirit this morning and for worship. Um, I've only had it happen a few times in my life that I can recall where just in the spirit of worship that you just have to fall before God on your knees or in your chair. And I, I praise God that that was happening this morning, just the Spirit of God and revealing Himself in my life. And um, I have a message that He's put on my heart to share. And uh, I just pray that I'll be able to get through it if that means I'm sitting in a chair um, because my legs are actually kind of shaking from, from the worship and that doesn't happen very often, but um, I want to take a moment and I just want to pray and I want to praise God for who He is and that we do have Christ, so would you uh, please pray with me this morning. God, um, to be in Your presence and to understand that we are in Your presence God, I thank you for your revelation already this morning in prayer and worship. God, I pray that you may give me the physical strength just to preach your word, to stand boldly on my legs, to be able to present your word and your truth. God, I, pr I praise you that we do have Christ as followers of Jesus Christ. So we're looking in the book of Philippians. You've given us so many praises, so many things we can be thankful for. God, I praise you for that. I pray that in my weakness that you may be proclaimed today in your strength, that hearts may be changed today, that you may encourage one another. God, I thank you that we can be on our knees before you, and that is a position of power and love and humility, and it's the best place we could ever be. God, we praise you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, well, I'm a little shaken, um, but I'm going to do my best. We're continuing in the book of Philippians this morning, so if you have your Bibles, I'm going to be picking up right where Pastor Terry left off from last time, which I believe is only verse 2, but I promise you we're going to make it through more than one verse a week, so we're not in the book of Philippians for the rest of our lives, but I'm going to be looking at quite a, a few verses. We're going to be starting in, in verse number 2. But I want to talk with you about some tools and some things that um, Pastor Terry and I are working on for you as our church members. The first of which is just the Connect cards are in front of you. 
Um, there's a lot of things going on in your life that we don't know about. There's a lot of things that you need prayer over, that we need to be praying for you over. There's things in our life, and we have a prayer ministry here and a prayer chain that goes around, and we need to hear kind of what's going on in your life. So those connect cards in front of you, if you just write down prayers or things that may be of need, even physical things, that's what the church exists for. We know there are people in our church who are struggling spiritually, or if you're struggling financially, if you're struggling emotionally, we want to come around you as a body, as a family, and lift you up, because that's what Christ has called us to do. So that's one tool. Um, another tool is just simply at the end of service, that whoever preached that day, if it's Terry or myself or someone else, we want to provide ourselves here after the service. So if you have any questions about the message, if you have anything you want us to pray for, if you have anything like anything at all you want to talk with us about that pertains to the message or any questions for us, one of us is always going to be available here, and we can be at the altar, and we can pray with you at the altar. The other one of us is always going to be in the back greeting people on the way out. And so that's just one more simple tool that we are wanting to provide to you because we care, and we're called by Jesus Christ to love you and honor you above ourselves. And so as pastors, we want to do that. A third thing that we want to, just as a basic tool, and I even got a text message this weekend about it, is someone was mentioning, hey, we need to learn some biblical hermeneutics at this church. And hermeneutics is just the basic study of the Bible, how to interpret the Word of God. So the first thing, and it's on your outline this morning that we're going to be going into, is simply put, hermeneutics is the study of the principles of interpretation concerning the Bible. And so one major point of hermeneutics is this, and I hope all of you write it down, there is only one interpretation of Scripture. So we have our Bibles, and we read a verse. There's only one interpretation of Scripture that is correct. So it can't be, you know, you think this, and I think this. Well, you're right, and I'm right. We're not in a postmodern church, okay? What's right for you is not right for everybody else, and so forth when you're reading the verse. No, there's one interpretation. There's absolutes in God's Word. But with one interpretation can stem many applications. So there may be many applications that come forth from that one interpretation of Scripture. This is why we were starting in the book of Philippians. We didn't start in the book of Philippians. We went back to the book of Acts to teach the context and the history of the Philippian church. So now you understand that context and history, we can move forward. I say this is important because for years and years, I studied the Word of God, or I just read the Word of God, I should say, and it was dry, and it was boring, and it was something I had to force myself to do all the time. And when you start studying it in the right context, it becomes alive to you. And you begin to, it begins to refresh your soul and give you a joy. And so, for instance, if, if we're in the Philippian church today, and we're starting in this book, Philippians, we're on verse 2, and I want you to imagine, you learned from a couple of weeks ago, there were three unlikely choices in the Philippian church. And I want us to imagine we're that Philippian church today, and sitting among our congregation is Lydia. Lydia, if you remember, was a seller of purple fabrics from the city of Thyatira, who the Lord opened her heart to receive the things of God. Lydia is sitting among us today. She's blessed our church with her finances because she was wealthy and she gives to the church. Some of her friends now attend here because of her testimony. We also have the slave girl who was... Remember, imprisoned by demonic spirits, and she was basically a medium between the spirit world, and she was producing a large sum of money for her masters, for her owners, but she was set free in Jesus Christ, and she 
is among our congregation today. This girl who, from a young age, dealt with these demonic forces has now been set free in Jesus Christ. And maybe she's invited some of her friends. And the testimony of her story, of this slave girl, has gone all through Philippi or Marco Island. And people saw how she was and how the gospel changed her and now how she is. And there's some of you here today because of you saw this transformation in her life. Or maybe it was the Roman jailer who was just the blue-collar businessman. He, he didn't really care about religion one way or the other. He was indifferent, just trying to get things done like most people today. And he's sitting in here. And the Bible says he and his family were saved. So he and his family maybe is sitting somewhere near to you today. Maybe some, even his prisoners at that time, he led to Jesus Christ. He went back into that jail and he shared the gospel with those who were in chains And they became in chains for the gospel rather than in chains for their crimes. And they're here today with us. It's been close to 11 years since our church was first established by Paul and Timothy and Luke and Silas. And we haven't heard from them. We haven't seen them that much. But we support them. We pray for them. We send them financial gifts. When we hear that Paul is in prison, we actually send someone from our congregation to go minister to him. This is the Philippian church. I don't want us to believe that we're the Philippian church as we begin to study in this, that we're waiting to hear from them. And one day, a letter comes in the mail, or it's delivered by somebody, and they bring it, and you can just imagine the quietness that goes over the congregation as the letter's opened, And it begins this way, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. We finally get to hear from this person who started the church and may have even led some of us to Christ. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, that's to us, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you. I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless on the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. That's all we're going to go through today, but they would have stood up in their church and they would have read the whole letter of Philippians to that church And they would have had a connection with Paul because Paul started the church. Paul led some of them to Christ. They supported Paul. And so as we read this and understand the context and understand the interpretation of it, we'll begin to apply these things to our lives. So I'm going to take a moment and we're going to pray for the message and then we're going to jump in starting in verses 3 through 5. God, we do pray that you may open eyes and ears this morning to reveal yourselves to us through your word. God, we thank you for this letter to the Philippian church. God, we thank you that it still has meaning for us today and that we can gain truth from it. God, we do pray that you just may use me. There is nothing in me that can 
bless anyone in here except what you've put in me through Jesus Christ and through your word. God, may I fade into the distance and may you clearly proclaim what you want to proclaim. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we'll start in verses 3 through 5, and it says, I thank my God in remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. The book of Philippians, many times it's called the book of joy. And we need to understand we only have joy because we're in Christ. We don't read the book of Philippians to get joy. Joy is an evidence and a fruit of being in Christ. That's why our series is called In Christ. In the song we sang about hallelujah, hallelujah, all I have is Christ. That's kind of going to be a theme throughout our series. That song is going to be a song you hear more than some other songs because it's kind of our banner for this series that we are in Christ. And praise God, that's all we have to be blessed with. That's all we have to, to brag over is that we are in in Christ. And so, starting in verse 3, it says, I think. That word think, when we break it down, it actually comes from the word Eucharisto, which is the word where we get Eucharist, which many times is um, kind of how we refer to the Lord's Supper. And so, he's saying, I Eucharistio, Eucharist, I thank my God in all remembrance of you, which is Paul using the same type of language in thankfulness to this church that he would have used towards who? Jesus Christ himself. So he's thanking this church with the same type of language that he would have actually used with Jesus Christ himself. And I began to question and think, how can Paul use the same terminology for ordinary church members as he does with Jesus Christ himself? Because he's using the same terminology he would use for Jesus Christ, and he's using the same terminology with Paul, and it began to dawn on me why. And I want us to turn over to Romans 13, verses 8 through 10. If you have your Bibles, Romans 13, verses 8 through 10, and this is how Paul could use the same type of language. Owe no one anything except to love one another, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandments are all summed up in this one thing. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And it finishes with verse 14, if you skip down. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Paul could use the same terminology towards Jesus Christ that, that he used towards these church members because when Paul looked at these church members, he did not see ordinary church members. He saw Jesus Christ so much in their life that it was overflowing into every other area of their life. That's what it's called to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, that when people look at us, they see something different. They see Jesus Christ overflowing. The evidence our life is overflowing with love towards others. That's how Paul could use the same terminology to ordinary church members as Jesus Christ because these ordinary church members were being revitalized by Jesus Christ and what he's done in their lives. Paul experienced this because this church sometimes went without because they gave to his ministry. 
We see over in Acts, they sold their possessions so that people could have in need. They ministered to him. They sent Paul money when he didn't have any money because he's doing the work of the gospel. When he was in prison and he was down and out and, and feeling sorry and depressed at any time, they sent people to minister to him. Paul could see the evidence. It wasn't just lip service. It was actually they were fulfilling that. And I want us to take a moment because when we encounter the Word of God and we begin to study it and read it, and we come up to something like this, we need to stop and ask ourselves some questions. Because the Word of God is for application in our life. It's not just something we read and we keep going. It's not just a to-do list that's on our phone telling us you need to read so many passages today to get your check marked. It's actually for life, okay? And so we need to ask the question in our own life, and if we're honest with ourselves this morning, how do we treat one another in church? How do we treat our fellow church members here at the family church? Do we even know what they're going through? Do we know what our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ are dealing with? Even, even just this morning, someone talked with me and told me that they just had someone in their immediate family pass away a few months ago that I had no idea of. This should not be so in a church. Every single one of us should be so connected with one another that when someone is going through something, they're not an island off on their own. We are the body of Christ, bought with His blood, redeeming one another in love the way Christ has redeemed us. And so we're supposed to be so connected, but we need to ask ourselves, do I even interact with other church members? Because God has called us to. We're not supposed to come and do this Sunday morning thing alone and and then leave. I want you to take a moment and just think of a couple people in your mind's eye sitting around you this morning. Just look around and pick a couple people out to yourself. And I just want you to understand this one thing. Jesus Christ sent his son and his only son to die for some of these church members around you. Wrap our minds around that. Just think about somebody sitting next to you that Jesus Christ saw it fit to die for that individual for their sins. And do you know anything going on in their life? When I started and God's working in me, I don't treat people the way I should be treating people in the church. God saw it right to die for some people, and I don't even care many times about what's going on in their life. And I'm more concerned about my life but I should be more concerned about theirs. This truth of realizing God saw it fit through His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for some people you're sitting next to should drive us to want to build relationships with these people and have a loving fellowship with one another in church like no other. In verse 5, it says that they have a partnership. Because of your partnership in the gospel, what were they partnered in? Well, verse 5 clearly says it. They partnered in the gospel. They were sharing in common this gospel, this gift, this grace of Jesus Christ. So what's being shared? The gospel. The people sitting next to you, if they're a member and a follower of Jesus Christ here, they've been partakers. We are sharing in the same thing, the gift of Jesus Christ. They are sharing that with you. And that truth should lead us to action. Pastor Terry, a couple of weeks ago, he said, blood is thicker than water, right? Family, 
Families should stick together more so than outside families. We need to understand not all blood is the same. Some blood is thicker than others. And the blood of Jesus Christ should make our fellowship so sweet that we should have closer relationships in the church than we should at our workplace. If you play on a sports team or you watch sports on TV and you see these guys playing basketball together and they have phenomenal relationships because they practice together and they play together and they go out after the game or they're getting ready before the game and they have these incredible relationships and it's focused around a ball or a goal or a basket and they have better relationships than we have with one another in the church when Jesus Christ paid for our neighbor sitting next to us with his blood and we're going to build our relationships on our work or something we do or a status or a sport. This should not be so in a church. When we understand the concept of what it means to share in the gospel of Jesus Christ that his blood paid for a neighbor of mine, it should call us and drive us in action to love one another. And our church should be revitalized by this. And I, I want us to look over to John 13, 35, because this is what should happen. And this is how the world sees us. In John 13, 35, it says this, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So when we're not loving one another, the way I just described, we're not showing the world that we're really disciples of Jesus Christ. When we begin to love one another and care for one another and pray for one another and meet each other's needs the best we can as a body of Christ, listen, people will say what is going on in that place because I want to be a part of it. And it won't have to be, let's come up with a new plan to get people into the church. People will want to come into the church because they see, man, they have a radical love for one another. Where did it come from? And we can begin to share that with them. That is the gospel and how we make disciples. And that's what Jesus himself said. By this, all people will know you are my disciples, how you love one another. So a lack of love is showing to the world a lack of disciples, which is why they always say those hypocrites. And listen, we are very hypocritical, and we always will be, but we should not be hypocritical in our love. We can make mistakes, but when we make mistakes, we should go and we should apologize and say, listen, I'm broken too, but through God's grace, He has forgiven us, and we, through unity, can grow in one another. So I just want to take a moment. I want to praise God because I'm beginning to see that more and more in our church. And praise God that's beginning to happen. People are starting to care for one another. But we want to continue that. So I just want to take a moment and pray for God to continue to be sensitive and to soften our hearts. We can be sensitive to Him. So would you pray with me? God, please continue to work in our hearts. Please continue to soften our hearts. Help us to love one another the way you've called us to love one another. God, we give this to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So continuing on, Worship team, don't go anywhere. I know last time, we're not done yet. I still have a lot more. Last time they came out, so I have a couple prayers through my message. Um, so continuing on, we're in verse 6, and I'm going to be going all the way to, I believe, verse 11. So, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. Now, 
This word began, it's only used twice in the New Testament, and it's a very, very important word. The context of the word began is almost if it began, but it's already completed. It's already finished. It began with an end in mind, and we see that Jesus, who began a good work in you, right? And I believe that's on your outline. He is Jesus. That's who began this work in you. It wasn't anything you did, because if it was... There's so many other theological issues that you can have in your life. That means you can lose your salvation. That means that it's dependent on you. Listen, God is not dependent on us in regards to this whole salvational issue. He began the work in us. And He is the one who's going to finish the work in us. And, and I want you to understand, because many times we get this in our head. We become a Christian. God began this work in us. And then we start to act like God's in the business of like flipping a house. Like he's going to do this work in us. And we, he starts coming around in, the, in our heart. And he's like, you know, looking at a flashlight. And you got a lot of mold up here in this area. And, and this roof is leaking. And this floor, the foundation is cracking. And, and the filters in this house, right? The filters in this house haven't been changed. And they just let whatever comes out, comes out. And... We think that God's going to, through Jesus, I mean, just going to be like, you know, this house is a wreck. I, I know I purchased this with my blood. It says in 1 Corinthians 6, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. God doesn't come into your life and start looking around and say, I got to walk away from this one. Throw my hands up because it's too much for me. Okay? You need to be encouraged. God doesn't say, I can't flip this house and make, make a profit and walk away. No, God knows in advance the issues in your life, the issues that will be in your life, and the, the ways you're going to disappoint Him in the future. And if you've been called by Jesus Christ to be a follower of Him, He knows in advance, and He still decided to do a work in you. Why did He do that? It's, it's, it's for His glory. We, we have no really reason. We have no right. But He's decided to do that in us, and that's how we can praise God, that He decided to do that, and he who began this good work in you is going to complete it on the day of Christ Jesus. We can praise God that he doesn't come into our life and realize how messed up and broken we are, and then throw his hands up and say, sorry, I, I can't flip this, because God's not in it for a profit. He's in it to glorify himself. Moving on to verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace. Here again we see Paul is saying, you are brothers and sisters with me. You're partaking in this grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn with you all for the affection of Christ Jesus. We can share in deep fellowship because we've partook. We share, we have this in common, the grace. And I want to give a short illustration with you about God's grace. So I want you to imagine you're a teenager again. You're outside playing, all right? Whatever we did when we used to play outside by ourselves, I really don't remember, but I remember it was fun and we used to do it. So we're outside, we're playing, we're in Florida, and as it sometimes happens, out of nowhere, a thunderstorm, it just starts pouring down rain, right? We're in Florida, this happens all the time. I've actually had this happen while I was on my roof and had half of it off, which was awesome which is a testimony because there was people from the church who came over to my house and helped me. 
Praise God that that happened. Otherwise, my back porch would still be destroyed. But on a side note, we're out in the yard, pours down rain, and by the time we make it inside, we are filthy. We've ran through mud. We've ran through all, we have grass on us, those little things that stick to you. I know, we have those, they're horrible. So we come in our house, we run through the living room, run through the kitchen, and then we go into our room. We don't realize how big of a mess we just brought all the way through the house. And we hear our parents begin to have an uproar about something. And we're called into the kitchen, and we come out of our room. We look on the floor and see these muddy tracks all over the place. And if your parent gave you justice at that moment, what might that look like? Okay? It might be a belt for some. It might be a hand for others. Okay? It might be a wooden spoon, whatever it was to your parents. But you deserved it. You should have thought by the time you made it in to take your shoes off, to clean up, but instead you just tromped through. You were disgusting. You brought it all into your house. Let's say mercy. If your parents gave you mercy, you come out of your room, you come in there and you're standing in the kitchen before your dad and you realize how big of a disaster you are. And mercy would be, maybe you have a, a talking to a little bit, but it, it seems with mercy, you always walk away with a sense of guilt and a sense of unsettlement. You leave, you know you did wrong and you're not really sure where you stand with your father. But I want us to understand grace because God has not just given us justice or mercy. He's given us grace. And when you come out of your room and you begin walking down the hall, you notice all this mud. And you even, as sometimes kids do, you're excited and you ran in and you had your hand on the wall, right? I don't know why we did this as, as kids, but we just run our hand down the wall so there's mud prints on the wall. You make it into the kitchen and you see your father... And you understand what you've done and you look down only to further reveal how disgusting you are. And you know what you deserve at that moment. But when you look back up at your father, he doesn't scold you. He doesn't give you what you deserve. He doesn't give you mercy. Instead, he reaches down and opens up the oven and pulls out a nice, freshly baked, moist chocolate cake. Puts it on the counter gives it to you with an ice-cold glass of milk and says, there you are, son. That would be a form of grace, right? Because you know what you deserve, but he's given you what you don't deserve and what you could never get on your own. God's grace is so much richer than chocolate cake, okay? God's grace is, is all the blessings in our life that he's given us, but we are partakers. We share in God's grace because of what he's done for us. And so we need to understand in verse 7, when we have partook and we share in God's grace, it should lead us to love one another because he first loved us. And when we understand the simple concept, and we could preach it every week, because he first loved us, we can go and love others. Paul continues on in verses 9 through 11 that we are partakers in this grace with him that he is calling this Philippian church to do. Paul goes on to tell this church four things. I want you to do four things, and he prays for them to do these four things. I believe these four things are still for our church to do today. And so we're going to look at these four things. And I didn't realize these four things until I started studying this, but he very clearly calls us to four 
different things, and they build upon one another as a foundation. You can't just skip to the end. You have to start from the beginning. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. So that's the first thing here. Paul calls his church to abound with love more and more with knowledge and discernment. Church, we are to abound with love because of what God has done for us. We are to abound with love to our neighbors because of what he's done for them. And it goes on, his unconditional love and this grace. Listen, when we truly understand what it means that while I was a sinner, an enemy of God, that he came and died for me. For the men in here, think of terms of horsepower, okay? When we understand that grace, it's going to give us horsepower to love others. If you don't understand the grace, you're going to have no power to love others through that. So, his prayer secondly was this, that they would approve the things that are excellent. He called them to approve what is excellent. So on your fill-in, abounding love fueled by grace will produce spiritual excellence. See, if, if I want to love others because how Christ has loved me, I want to do it excellently. I want to do it perfectly. And so this love is going to cause us to be spiritually excellent. And then to the third thing, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Jesus Christ. The third thing is he's calling them to be pure and blameless for the day of Jesus Christ. Well, spiritual excellence will naturally produce personal integrity. If you're having personal integrity issues in your life, it's because you're not wanting to do things well spiritually. You're not wanting to do things well spiritually because you don't have abounding love, and you don't have abounding love because you're not understanding the gospel in its full context. This all starts with going and you need to be upfront and clear with God because he already knows and you need to just get on your face before him and thank him and praise him for what he's done in your life. And it's on your knees in thanksgiving and prayer and praising to God for what he's already done to you and for you and the grace, the chocolate cake he's given you in your life that's going to lead you to love others and going to lead you to spiritual excellence and going to lead you to personal integrity. And last, it says, filled with the fruit of righteousness. This is the fourth thing. He calls them to be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Because personal integrity in your life, it's going to produce fruits of righteousness. When you are doing these things, your life is going to have fruit in it. And it's not just going to be something we talk about. There's actually going to be fruit in your life. But God has done these things for you so that you can produce fruit. And when we do all these things, the ending will happen to the glory and praise of God. When we do all four of these things, or I should say because it's not about doing, when God has worked this in us and it naturally produces these things, we're not in a checklist religion. You can't just go and say, all right, I'm going to learn to love. I'm going to love these people. Listen, it's an overflow and it's an evidence of understanding God's love for you. You can't do it on your own. You never could. You just need to recognize the abundance of God's love and grace in your life. And that's going to produce these things in your life. All of these things understand and begin with a right understanding of the grace of God, the gospel, your sin, his forgiveness, 
in thanksgiving towards him. And so as we come to a close, I want us just to take a moment because we've really hit on a lot of things. We've talked about God starting a work in us that's already finished. Praise God that he did this without, without anything on our own. We talked about loving how we should love one another because of what God's done in us. That Jesus Christ has died for those you're sitting around and it should cause you to do something different. Build relationships with people in the church. So I want to take a moment. Praise God for his grace in this prayer. Confess to him what you need to confess. Thank him because we are in Christ and that's all we have and that's the greatest thing we could ever ask for. Let's pray. God, we do praise you for who you are. God, we give you all the honor and glory because we are in Christ and that is all we have and that is all we need and all we ever will need. God, this is a simple yet deep truth. God, we praise you for loving us. We praise you for beginning a work in us through the gospel. God, we know we are covered in mud and filth, but you have given us grace for those who have been changed by the blood of Jesus Christ. God, I thank you for that. God, we fail you often. I thank you that it's not dependent upon how much or how little we serve you, but God, you love us unconditionally. God, help us to grow as a church. Help us to grow in abounding love that's going to produce spiritual excellence, that's going to lead to personal integrity, that's going to produce fruits of righteousness that ultimately is going to bring you praise and honor and glory. God, may we glorify you in our closing song. May we just leave it all out on the table. All I have is Christ. That's all I need, and I praise you for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.